Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. I'm Bio. And today we are <laughs> talking one of the greatest films ever put on celluloid. Back when they put films on celluloid. Back when they put actually put films on celluloid. We are talking Yojimbo, the I believe it's 1961. Akira Kurosawa and Toshiro Mifune. Okay, well, I ended up reading um, Stan Sakai's Usagi Yojimbo instead. Oh, well, then we might have a little bit of an interesting discussion. <laughs> the new version or the original? Um. Which original? There's like 14 original. Right, right. The the latest, the latest uh well not even really one. a reboot, is it? It's a just a no, it just continues on. He just That's moved a, to the a different about, Yeah, the, the thing about that comic is that it just it goes from beginning to end, it's one big story. Right. Kind of like Judge Dredd. Yeah. I like the I like the new one. I, there's only been one issue released so far, but it was good. <laughs> There you go. So yeah, if you get a chance, check that out. But we are talking Toshiro Mifune. Yes, we're talking about the classic black and white film based on the Dashiell Hammett uh, book, mm. Red Harvest. Yep. Which was remade into a pretty good Clint Eastwood film and a shitty um Bruce Willis film. And I just say that because all Bruce Willis films are shitty. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, it's really hard to to give that classification because it's the exact same movie. It is. Now, I, <laughs> well, I don't know about the, um, the Bruce Willis film. I, I can tell you for a fact that uh, Last Man Standing is a shot for shot remake. The only difference is that it's set in the twenties, so it's closer to Red Harvest. So it's at, yeah, it's actually a little bit closer to Red Harvest than than Kurosawa's version. But you know what we have is when he put this film, when Kurosawa put Yojimbo on the screen, uh, he created pretty much the prototypical antihero as as we know it in the movies. He really did. And even more powerful was it was a prototypical antihero in Japanese movies because up until that point, uh, samurai movies were, you know, like Westerns, really. Mm -hmm. they, they, you know, you had good guys, you had bad guys, you know, where everyone stood. And, and that's what happened. Right, right. But, and but, but that's completely different. Right now, where does the the Ronin fall in these these earlier Japanese films? I mean, other than Seven Samurai, I mean, you know, that's a film about Ronin, but right. they are Ronin who still, by and large, adhere to the way of the 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 samurai, the, right. the nobility aspect of it. Well, well, yeah, and well, look at the samurai trilogy, mm -hmm. um, where. Um, Mifune plays um, Miyamoto uh, Musashi. Musashi, yeah. Musashi, who is a Ronin. Mm -hmm. 
um, which is the character that Usagi Ojimbo is actually based off of. Right. Um, and he, you know, he actually grows as a as a character throughout these three films, um, starting out as kind of a, a little snot-nosed douchebag um, and becomes, you know, the greatest master of, of, of sorts in the history of Japan, um, who, who wrote the book on honor. Well, he didn't really write the book on honor so much, but uh, he did write like two very important works. Of, well, he wrote of, a book about Bushido, and he wrote a, the the Five Rings. So, well, his book really wasn't about Bushido. Bushido is bullshit. Bushido is a is a nationalist thing that came right. up later. It's chivalry and all that, but I mean, but he still wrote a book called Bushido. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he did not. He wrote a book called Dakota, The Way of Walking Alone. He wrote a book called, oh, I'm sorry, The Way of the Samurai. Mm -hmm. My fault. Just called The Way of the Samurai. Yeah. But his, his major work is the Gorin No Show or Book of Five Rings. Right. Where we get Legend of the Five Rings. <laughs> right. Well, he is the epitome of, you know, the the, the gold standard of samurai. Mm -hmm. He was a Ronin and enshrined in films. Well, you know, he's he's one of the gold standards of the samurai. You have other other you know high ranking officials, of course. You know, you have guys like uh uh Kenshin, uh Uesugi Kenshin. Right. Forgive me if I uh, mangle that name. Uh, and and of course, you know every prefecture has their has their local heroes as well. Yes, that's true. But I'm talking about like people that you. Well, maybe not you, but <laughs> that you know can that Westerners can name off the top of their head. Right, and it's it's like. Um, it's it's Musashi and uh, you know, any and that Toroshiro Mifune guy, uh, who he you know that who guy played he played Musashi. in that movie, who was right. He he also played Musashi, yeah. But but generally nobody remembers you know uh, Mulberry Field Sanjuro, <laughs> right? Twenty year or thirty year, thirty years old going on forty. Yeah, thirty years old Mulberry Field. Yeah. Right, because because it's not his real name. So I guess um, for those of you who haven't seen this movie, um, it is shame uh, on you. First, it's fistful of dollars. Right. If you've <laughs> or seen, I should say, a fistful of dollars is a, a, almost a shot-for-shot shot remake of this film. Right. So if you've seen a fistful of dollars, that's the the gist of it. You have two warring factions of yakuza. Uh, vying for the control of this of this town, um, which at one point was a prosperous silk trading town, right? Um, which has been ravaged by this gang war, and uh, this nameless um, Ronin walks into the middle of it and decides to play both sides against the middle to uh, make a buck and, or, and or a Rio. But really, he doesn't make a buck. His his entire plan is to free the town. 
by by turning the factions against themselves and you know killing each other off it's debatable as to whether that is his actual plan or that just happens to be um his uh correction of course in after the second act well yeah but up until up until that actually throughout the entire film he doesn't make a penny and he's okay with it no he doesn't um you know, at one point he he grabs what is it like twenty five, Rio uh, thirty. Um, he gets he gets paid thirty. Well, he gets paid twenty five at first, right? By the the first clan that he goes to, right? The uh, uh, whorehouse the whore, proprietor, the whorehouse, right? And sh the woman, the the wife of the of the gang boss, comes up with the plan. Well, let him do all the work for us, and then we'll kill him when we get all all fifty back. Because it was 25 up front, 25 when we went. Mm -hmm. So he gives it back. Now, I guess you can have this as, you can interpret this in a couple of ways. Is he just an honorable guy who doesn't take money without, you know, producing something? Mm -hmm. Is it part of some grand plan to piss everybody off and to sow confusion? It can go either way. Right, right. Because over the course, the only payment that he actually accepts, really, is food and booze from the local restaurant guy. Well, he takes 30 Rio from the other family. Mm -hmm. um, but he takes it in order to get it for the, um, the woman who he frees. Yes. Right. But so, that is after his change of heart. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the it's, second act. It's really hard to say because it seems like the circumstances of this town weigh on him from the very beginning. It, it, like I said, it can go either way. Um, it, it's, it's really hard to tell because he is nameless and really you can only guess at his motivation. Right. Um, you know, you, the only thing you know about him is he is Ronan. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, in some circles means that he has no honor to begin with because he should have killed himself when his master died. Right. Although you could, you could argue that this was Edo period after seppuku was outlawed. Right. It's actually, I think it's supposed to be the late Edo period anyway. Yeah, there is a pistol. Yeah, and it's a it's a fairly it's a near Meiji era model pistol. Yeah, so so it, it it really it's hard to tell. You know, if if he is an antihero, you know, it's it's definitely more antihero to be caught up in circumstances to become honorable as opposed to um, going in with this grand plan to set them both to at each other and free the town because that's kind of just a regular old hero. Right. Well, I, I think I think he might when when he starts, he's looking to cause a little trouble, maybe make a couple bucks for himself or get fed or whatever. But I think his better nature usually just appeals to him more. That you know, that you know, all the people that are caught in the middle of this bullshit. I think I think he was I think his attitude would be a lot different if it was if everyone in the town was crooked but it seems like they're the honest people got caught in the middle 
and it I don't think that sits well with him as he experiences more and more of it. Uh, no, I, I'd agree with you, and there's there's definitely something that happened to him um, that causes him to kind of go all in on um, bringing down the the baddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in this case, and it's the same thing in a fistful of dollars. Um, this guy loses. This is before the action of the film. Uh, guy loses his shirt in the gambling house and. Um, instead of just taking his house because he has a beautiful wife, mm-hmm. they take her as well. Right. And that's what doesn't sit well with him because um, she is being paraded around in front of this guy um, who's powerless to stop anything. And they have a kid and the kid's being torn apart. You know, it's, it's definitely heart wrenching stuff. And he, it's the most emotion that he shows. And this entire film is, um, during those scenes where he's saying, I think you people, I hate people like you. Mm-hmm. You know, stop, stop begging, you know, stop thanking me and get the fuck out. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you definitely, and it's up to you to figure out what that is. I mean, that's, you know, it's in your own mind, search, search your feelings. Right. Right. But Sanjuro as a character is certainly possessed of a, of a great degree of nobility and he's a total badass. He is. Um, he's got that going for him. And the other thing he ha- he's got going for him is all of the villains in this piece are just stone cold idiots. Oh yeah, except, except for one. Right, I'm cartoonishly so. Yeah, and that's the thing is, um, you have these guys who are supposed to be these dangerous gangsters, mm-hmm. and they're clowns. They can't yeah. do. They can't do anything right. They even. It, most of them even look like clowns. But yeah, it is true, and I, I think like a lot of them, like the, the definitely the main guys. Uh, I think they enjoy the status quo. Um, I think they're they're just afraid of mm. of progressing to you know having somebody win. I, I don't know if it's because they think they're going to lose, but um, what is it? Saibi, and who's the other? Saibi's like the uh, whore house, the whore master, mm-hmm. and the other guy is um, uh, Ushatora, who is the gamble master. Right. Yeah, it's like a gang war, but nobody, and it's a war of attrition. But it's like no side wants to win because what are you going to do? I mean, well, they, you know, they do art. a lot of like shaking their fists in front of each other's faces, and you'll have like these armies of Ronin going out into the streets with their swords drawn, and one side will advance, and the other side just backs off, and then right. that side will advance, and the other side will back off. And there's actually, it's a pretty violent film. But most violence takes place at the at the hands of um, Infune, right? As opposed to um, like these gangsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the gangsters are absolute fools. They're infinite. and pretty much, pretty much, um, you know. And there's a there's a couple of really great scenes in this film that I, I enjoy. First off. The very beginning where he, Sanjuro is walking down the road 
and he comes to the fork in the road and he just picks up the stick and throws it in the air. And that's how he decides he wants where he wants to go. Right. <laughs> and uh the the second one is is the the other Ronin that uh <laughs> when he just like hops the fence and gives him the old Yeah, wing. that's a that's a good scene too. But the okay, the Ronin with the gun, the gun brother oh, okay. as you call him. Okay. Um, well, I, he was uh his name, I have it all here. Um Inokichi? No, no, no. It is um Unos Unos Unaski. Unaski. Or Unski, or Una, I don't know which which vowels to drop in Japanese. So. I think they just call him Uno. Yeah, for short. Um, yeah, the first scene where where they Sanjuro and Uno actually kind of like cross paths, and and they both stop. Right, <laughs> and you see, and you see Uno get kind of tense, and 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 Mifune's character is just kind of like. Shrugs him off. <laughs> well, he just spent a uh, a year or so hanging out with the Dutch. Yeah, <laughs> that's his backstory. Um, that actor, um, Tatsuya Nakadai, is actually the main villain in the sequel, or you know, the quote unquote sequel to this movie. So, if if you like him, you get more. Mm-hmm. In in uh in the follow follow up movie Sanjuro Sanjuro and Sanjuro now there are a lot of moments of comedy in Yojimbo uh, Sanjuro is like almost straight comedy I mean yeah. there is the, there is a lot of violence in that film as well but there's a lot of comedy the people that hire Sanjuro in this film are complete idiots and uh, are totally incompetent. Yeah, but I think this film may be like the funniest Japanese film I've ever seen. Uh, Yo Yojimbo, just because it's got like so many different like quirky characters. It's quirky characters, and it's like just slightly, yeah, slightly askew Japanese uh, stereotype um, Chambara characters. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have gangsters that are idiots and completely ineffectual, right? Yeah. Um, You're not supposed to be afraid of them because they're not really threatening. Right. You have, like, you have like the mayor. What's up with the mayor? The mayor spends his time prancing around literally from foot to foot and, and calling out the time. Yep. Like, he, like he's the town crier. Mm -hmm. uh, the scene where where they're bribing the uh, inspector. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like dancing around between them, and he puts the bag down, and he's really like like overly overly um, uh, uh, respectful to them, like simpering, mm -hmm. like uh, you know, like actually the way West plays characters, right? <laughs> you know, just like. <laughs> comedically so not just like oh my god stop it but oh my god i can't believe this guy's doing this right and and that's that's one of like the other greatest scenes in the film is how the relationship between the restaurateur and and sanjuro how they just have this like relaxed camaraderie and they're watching this whole thing transpire 
through the windows of the uh, tea house. Right. And, and they're just laughing with each other over it, drinking booze and like, look at this, these idiots over here. Yeah. And, and so now that's one of the reasons why I think that he came in to make money and then kind of like switched up his character is just because of how the relationship between um, Mifune and, and this, uh, this guy, um, Ganji mm-hmm. uh, plays out because in the beginning, Ganji is just like, eat your fucking food, get the fuck out of town. And then he's like, you're just, a, you're just as bad as the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as, as things start playing out and really what it is, it's this, it's, back to this woman and and you know, taken from her family when he sees that that affects Mifune all bets are off now they're friends now he's willing to like go to bat for him because he, he realizes that oh my god he is a he is a good guy mm-hmm. he does have like a sense of honor right then when he sits down he goes off and he uh kidnaps the two guys and sells them to the one family and then tells oh, the other family where they are. Brilliant. And then they try to do the exchange and he's sitting there in the restaurant and he's like, so you're telling me that was all your plan. Well, the first half of it was they changed the second half. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like his whole plan is based on the fact that these gangsters suck. That they're right. the worst. <laughs> they're just like horrible gangsters. And he's just like, it's you can almost see him there like crunching numbers going, okay, there's a 70% chance that they're gonna react like this. Okay, really? I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> really, it's kind of a it's kind of a Batman plot because you know his entire plan is our criminals a cowardly and superstitious lot. <laughs> it really is. He's like banking on them to like just play into his hands. Yep. yep, and and because they're so lame, they do. I mean, because if, if you think about it, pretty much everything he does once he once he starts um, trying to to do the right thing, it you could you got to be a nitwit to not see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, these guys are nitwits, especially. Um, the 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 pig brother. Um, oh, the guy with the teeth. Yeah, the guy with the unibrow. Inokichi. Yeah. Eno. He is. He is Eno means pig. Yeah. <laughs> they they make a point of mentioning that to him. Yeah. So all, all three of these uh, the gamblers are named after like animals. Mm-hmm. It almost becomes this kind of like fable. Yeah, I guess you can look at it that way. You know, you got the pig brother and that sort of uh, thing. The, the the main brother was like uh, born between the year of I forget what it was. He was like born on New Year's Day, mm-hmm. so he like he started out um, in in the previous year, the year of the whatever, and then ended up on the next year. So they named him after the two animals, right? And Sebe? Uh They don't explain Sebe. Oh, he's just well. He's a different family. Yeah, he's different. Okay. He was the see. He was the original um, crime boss, and 
was retiring and was going to give his territory to his son, who is kind of like a uh, milksop. He's the Fredo. His yep. son is is Fredo. Yeah. Oh, but I did kill that one guy. <laughs> and his mom's like, one guy, a hundred guys, you can only be hanged for it once. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and and during that particular conversation, Sanjiro is sitting outside, just leaning up against the wall and, and just like getting a kick out of that whole the, conversation. Yeah, telling the hookers to just to, to stop giggling. Right, and they're giggling, and he sticks his tongue out at him at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even like, it's it's funny because like every everybody in this film is just shabby. Mm -hmm. Like everybody is shabby. Yeah. There's there's no there's no visual clue as to who to root for. You don't have like that um, that. Red hat or black hats versus white hats kind of vibe going on because everybody is just equally just run down. Like the the the, the geishas, the hookers or whatever are are all like um like made up weirdly, mm. um, haggard looking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all the Ronin that are hired have like got problems shaving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Prison tattoos. Yeah, really bad prison tattoos. Like, substandard for prison. Right. Exactly. And, yeah, and then here comes Sandra, who's probably the cleanest and best dressed of all of them. Right, and he's like in a threadbare uh, kimono. Yeah, who, his... who, he, he spends, I mean, if you look at the his body language in this film, it's fantastic. Because he spends half of it scratching himself mm -hmm. and hunched over. So yeah. just to give you that impression that he's not well cared for. He's not he's he is not going to be your typical samurai that you find in, yeah. in a Ch Chambara movie. I think I think it's also it's also cold that time of year. It is, you could see their breath. But I mean, but he like literally like will he'll just be sitting there and, and he'll just be like yeah, scratching his cheek, or you'll have like a shot from like over his shoulder, and you'll see his hand come up from behind his kimono and scratch his back, mm -hmm. <laughs> just like constantly scratching, right? Because you know he's sitting there just rubbing his chin. Yeah, wearing clothes that you know probably haven't been washed. <laughs> um, yeah, you probably got some choking it. Yeah, he's probably got some dust mites up in there. Yeah, he's probably got fleas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be honest, he probably has fleas. But uh, you know, there is there's another good scene, and and Mifune is such just a a powerful physical presence in all of these scenes. It's like Kurosawa knew. I mean, they they were pretty close. I think they were like good friends, and you know, Kurosawa knew how to frame Mifune in every shot to make him look imposing, even if he is the smaller character in the scene, you know, just, just with, even, even though he's like facing down like 50 armed Yakuza, you know, he's just casual about it. Yeah. He, he, well, Kur Kurosawa is no joke. Yeah. As, as a filmmaker. I mean, he's like the guy who studies film. He's just not, 
he's not the guy who had a super eight and decided to make movies. He's like a guy who, who, you know, that was his life. He was a director. Mm -hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, just doing some research for this, uh, Rashomon apparently was, um, so good that they created an Oscar category of best foreign film to, um, allow it to be part of the Academy. Oh, nice. So, I mean, that's how good Kurosawa is. He's so good that he his film, which is also a really good film, and you should go and watch it. His film created a category for the Oscars. Right. That's damn fucking impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and just, well, I mean, it also speaks to how racist the Oscars are because he couldn't just be like, Best picture. Best, best picture. It had to be best foreign film. Right. Right. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, Ang Lee came along and uh, helped break that mold a little bit. Right. Because if you if you look at, I'm not a big, I'm not a huge like film guy. I kind of think that it's a good way to entertain yourself for the most part. Films, mm -hmm. but as as like a. Um, a hoity-toity kind of uh, medium. I think it might be a little overrated. But that being said, there are definitely people, directors, actors, who are artists. Mm -hmm. You know, I just think there's a lot less of them than than most people do. But Kurosawa is definitely in that category of artist. We're we're thinking oh. of one. For director one, in particular, what we I'm say thinking that. like a bunch of them, but yeah, I'm thinking of David Lynch. I'll say it. I'm thinking of um fucking Kubrick. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, Hitchcock. Like, okay, I, I mean, I could kind of see it, but not really. Right. I I can watch you, Jimbo, a thousand times, and and you know. I could watch a lot of Kurosawa a lot of times, and really the only Hitchcock film I, I enjoy watching is North by Northwest. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Right. And and funny enough, all well, Kurosawa really wanted to do was make John Ford movies in Japan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't really like John Ford movies. <laughs> yeah, you don't really like westerns, but no. the. But the two the two types of cinema, um, and and uh, you know Kurosawa is more of a Jita Geki director rather than a Chanbara film. Um, but yeah, you know these the two the two uh, genres though, the Western and and the the Jita Geki or Chanbara film are like intertwined. They use yeah, the exact very, same themes. They're very similar. I mm -hmm. just. I guess it depends on what aesthetic you like better. Yeah, I just don't really... The American West just doesn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. I, cow, I, you know what? I don't like cowboys and Indians. Mm -hmm. You know. So there you go, sue me. I'm, I'm an uncultured fuck, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a... But... Yojimbo is a great film. It's one of the greatest films of all time. It's got action. It's got uh, intrigue. Comedy. comedy. Lots of comedy. 
Man, this this film is funny as shit. Did I disappear? Uh, just for a second. Oh, okay. Weird. I'm just saying that it, this film is funny as shit. Oh yeah, I, I uh, yeah, it's the end. Well, that about wraps it up. See you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because if you compare the end of this to the end of um of uh, the good or not the good the bad the, the um, fistful of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, where in Fistful of Dollars, they make like this big point of because everybody, it's a Western, everybody has a gun, and everybody's a really great shot. Right. But you know, so, how, how are you going to end that film? You know, he, he takes the, the part of the oil, you know, the oil drum and makes it into like a, a, a plate of armor for him, right? Mm hmm. So he can withstand the uh, deadly shot of the rifle, the Springfield. In this, you don't need that trickery just because, you know, Mifuni's just the best. Yeah. And yeah. that's all there is to it. So so you, you get, like, this great... The, the ending's so great. I mean, he just, like, wipes the... Wipes these guys off the map. Mm-hmm. And you have um, the brother with the gun, like clawing his way to try and get to his gun while he's dying. Right. <laughs> because, like, for all of his bluster and 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 how like menace, because really that guy is the only real menacing presence on the bad guy's side. Mm-hmm. And for all of that, it's all wrapped up in this gun. Right. He never draws his sword. No, he, he, he doesn't. He's like, he, he's gone completely. Um, but it's funny because, like, earlier on when um, Mifune's captured mm-hmm. and uh, he's being guarded by that one guy and then the big guy. Right. Right. The guy who looks like he's was from Jaws from um, James Bond films. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the one guy's like, shouldn't, shouldn't we tie him up? And the big guy's like, he's nothing without his sword. Which is not true, because he's clever. Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to it, um, the brother, um, Unoski, is is nothing without his gun. Right. And, and, and he knows it. I mean, he like needs, even in his dying breath, he needs that gun. Mm-hmm. I feel naked without it. Yeah. And and uh, Sanjuro takes him out like first, and you know, in good good samurai tactics and and good swordsmanship, he eliminates the weapon first. Yeah, of course. And and there you go. You know, he throws he throws the big ass butcher knife right into his forearm, and he can't. <laughs> He can't shoot anymore. I want to fight them with that. Yep. <laughs> now, the weird thing about the one weird thing, there's like little to no blood in this film. No. no. Uh, um, you know, there's a lot of killing. There's a lot of um, uh, one-shotting um, thugs, mm. but uh, there's no blood. The, the the sword. You know, they don't depict 
uh, blood splurting out of wounds like you would would um, in a more modern samurai film. Right. By, by uh, what's his name, Mike? Yeah, Takeshi Mike. Who is, you know, that's like blood dripping from the camera. Like you go watch, uh, what is it, Samurai um, Assassin? Yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, 13 Assassins, I believe it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Blade of the Immortal. Yeah, I mean, those are just like, uh, that, yeah, that's like night and day. Those are crazy. You know, and cool. then you have the, you know, the Lone Wolf and Cub films. Right. Uh, well, semi contemporary to this, well, those are like the 70s. Yeah, a lot of those were 70s. Lady Snowblood. Mm hmm. I mean, you have a lot of these films that do have blood dripping from the, the camera. And yeah. this is not one of them, though the body count is pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, it's it's one of those things. First off, it's black and white and you can suggest a lot uh, with very little. Like, really, yeah. there all of the blood in this film is in one scene. And that is the um, is Uno's death, right? You see him; he's laying on his on his stomach, and he's bleeding out as he's doing this. And the puddle is getting bigger and bigger. They saved it all for that. Well, no, a lot of the a lot of the the deaths are wide shot, you know, panoramic. Yeah, but most of these other guys, you know, he cuts them and they turn around, and they face the camera, and yeah, nothing. <laughs> right, right. You know, kind of, kind of, in some ways, like some of the older spaghetti westerns and stuff. I like was that. gonna say, like a lot of like John Ford movies, where you'll have like these big, somebody will get shot, and they'll just go down. There's no blood, right? There's just a, a, you know the sound of the gun going off and then collapsing, and it's kind of the same thing. You hear the thud of the sword, and that's it. Yeah, you know, it's like you're cutting a cantaloupe in half, right? And there you go. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's weird because it kind of like it's kind of surreal, mm -hmm. um, you know. And I guess if you think about like the Westerns that do that, that's kind of surreal as well, but not as much because you're used to it. Right. Um, but, you, you know, usually in sword fighting, you get a lot of blood in, in films. Right. Well, here's the thing, though, man, is is that Sanjuro's sword is so sharp and right. his skill not, is... It cauterizes the veins as cuts through them. Right. It's a lightsaber. His skill is so great that, you know, they die before the wounds even really open up and start bleeding. Right. <laughs> he's so goddamn powerful, they're already in rigor mortis. Right. He He's actually killed them with his willpower. Which this is which is his number two weapon. His first weapon is his is his intellect and his wit, and his second most powerful weapon. <laughs> you just like inadvertently did a Monty Python sketch. His first weapon is surprise, surprise and fear. His two weapons are right, and his third weapon is actually his weapon. <laughs> But, um, you know, and his fourth weapon is a high constitution score. 
Yeah, he he took a beating. He took a beating and he managed to drag himself across <laughs> town into the crawl space. Right. Out of the building and across town to get some booze. No. <laughs> he did go to his only friend. And then they uh they come up with a clever plan of hiding him in the coffin. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that was funny too. Mm-hmm. He's like in the coffin, they're trying to sneak him out of town. He's like, wait, I gotta watch. And, he's like, and like the, the final battle between the two sides is going on, and, and the uh the pig brothers are burning out Cybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just it's just like Lambs to the slaughter, and you kind of go, Why didn't they just do this, you know, an hour and a half ago? Right. It's and and save everyone the trouble because obviously they had the ability to do it. So they, they go ahead and, and and win. And he's watching it. <laughs> and uh then the, the middle brother, the you know, uh the, helps <laughs> helps him carry. Mifune to the graveyard because he might see a ghost and he's so brave and strong. That's right. <laughs> well, don't tell me you're afraid of ghosts. No, nah, man, I love that shit. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to go alone because there might be ghosts. I, I saw a couple there. Ghosts? You're afraid of ghosts? <laughs> I'm not afraid of <laughs> Well, maybe they only appeared up to wimps like me. Yep. You're strong, buddy. <laughs> right. He's so dumb. And then he then he leaves, and Mifune comes out of the coffin, and they did a fantastic makeup job. Yeah, he looked good. And he comes up, and he looks like a ghost. He's in shock. His skin is pale. Yeah, his hair is like puffed out. You know, and ratty. And then he then he gets that smile, and and it's so like creepy. That the call the uh, the bartender's like, yo, man, stop smiling. It's worse. Okay, that you you really want to freak yourself out uh, of how good the just the makeup was um, in this film. Go just look at portraits of the actors, like the main actors in this film, and think about what they actually look like and what their their characters look like. Because mm-hmm. there, some of them are unrecognizable. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do a lot of fantastic makeup work. I mean, you know, the just the the innkeeper's face is like stuck in this permanent scowl. Yeah, uh, he he looks he looks nothing like um, himself in this. And um, the guy who plays the um, the sake maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's also a, uh, a very uh, big name in Japanese cinema. And I'm going to find out his name in a second. Uh, oh, uh, Takashi Shimura. Mm-hmm. Um, he is probably, he and Mifune are probably the only two actors that actually look like themselves. Right. In, in this film. Mm-hmm. Well, and and um, uh, Tatsuya uh, Nakade, who plays Uno, right? 
Yeah, everybody else is like heavily made up. Yeah, I mean, like really well, really well. It, it was um, it, it's because a lot of these guys, you know, it was a production company. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these guys are in each other's movies, and you know, you see a lot of the same faces in in, uh, in these films. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the ones where you're like, "Is that that guy?" Right, right. It's Not like watching. Right, it's like watching a Toho film or a, a Shaw Brothers film or Golden Harvest or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the same like stable of actors, and they get rotated right. through parts. Uh huh. Yeah, but it just a lot of them are unrecognizable in this film, mm-hmm. as opposed to the other other films where you're just like, "Oh, look who it is! Hey, I know that guy." Or uh, you know, and you know, um, people do it here in the in the states as well. You know, look at uh, what's his name, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson does it. Fucking Hitchcock. Yep, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. I'll give him the the genius label. Um, uh, what's his name? The one that everybody likes. Paul. Oh, Tarantino. Tarantino uses the same guys all the time. So you know, it's not like it's anything weird. Right. Right. Yeah, and when he introduces a new actor, he tends to like include them in everything afterwards. Yeah. yeah. You get a lot of that. And uh yep, I probably one of the greatest shots in cinema is the final conflict. The the lead up to it. Because uh, long shot. Yeah. Mafune is in the far background of this shot, and he is still the most powerful presence on the screen. <laughs> And then all you hear is Yep. Oh yeah. The the theme the theme of this movie is also very earwormish. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very much so. It's like a weird uh combination of like sixties uh, domestic music and traditional like Japanese music. It's you get some organs and stuff in there. Ba-bam, ba-bam. Yeah, it's it's um it's definitely got a lot, especially the music has a lot of Western influence to it. Yeah. But there you have yeah. it, ladies and gents. Uh, probably the greatest piece of cinema ever made. Prove us wrong. That isn't the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Toroshiro Mifune in the in the Blues Brothers. Yeah, that would have been great. That, that would have just that would have destroyed cameras. You could have had you could have had Toshiro Mifune versus John Belushi. <laughs> in, uh, no Coke Pepsi. <laughs> samurai delicatessen mm-hmm. with an actual samurai. Well, not really, but you know. What I mean. No, no, he's the third Bruce brother. <laughs> he's Musashi Blues. Musashi Blues. <laughs> All right. Yep. That's it for us this week. Join us again next time, and we'll be doing something equally as silly. So That's right. Keep 30, 30 luck points and make 30 Ryu. <laughs> <laughs>